All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, since we're going to talk about aging today, and since I'm the old dude in the group with a little bit more experience in the aging department, I get to do the intro. So I'm going to be 50 in a couple months, entering the ranks of senior chess. David's at 40. Kostya, we believe, is at 29. That's right. He might stay 29 for the rest of his life. We'll see. <laughs> it's actually, for chess players, it's it's a pretty uh, good age distribution to talk about because I think uh, consensus is that the peak of a chess player is around 28. So Kostya is already on the decline. Might be a slow decline, but he's on the decline. And one of the things here at the dojo we're really pushing for Kostya to make GM is it needs to happen sooner rather than later. I myself am an exception in that I made GM later in life in my 30s. And um, that was a very hard struggle. And, you know, I had done other things in my life. I got a PhD and yada, yada. So I came back to it. Um, but progress is harder when you are older. Now, I just want to say some, just say a couple words. Um, <clears throat> One fearsome debate we had here at Dojo Talks was talking roughly on the idea of natural talent. People get really riled up about it and you can't even bring it up without somebody getting upset. Um, we, we just got really nailed for it and people are like, oh my God, you can't talk about natural talent. You just forget about it. It's all how hard you work. Aging on the other hand, I think there's a lot greater acceptance among people that you are just simply going to decline at some point. We might disagree on when the decline happens. And in fact, an interesting historical note is when I was a kid, the consensus of when the peak of a chess player was, was much higher. Botvinnik, for example, really thought that the peak came around 50. And there were some old guys. There were some old guys and still are some old guys who are still playing uh, well into their late age. Korshnoi was an example. My sensei Smyslov was an example. Anand now is an example. But in general, those people are the exceptions to the rule. Now, uh, obviously I'm a lay person when it comes to cognitive science, but something uh, a neurologist friend told me that made a lot of sense to me is that you can think of the brain as a controlled electrical storm. And then when you see somebody who has epilepsy, for example, what you're witnessing is when that storm goes out of control, right? When the storm loses itself. And when you're getting older, the process is basically that, I, I guess you could think of it, I think of it as that storm becoming uh, less and less accurate in its connections, right? Do scientists themselves understand it completely? No, they might understand it better than me, but they don't understand it completely. Now, the next thing before I turn it over, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of things that I just found helpful in this regard is there's a study out there that I'll link to in the YouTube uh, the description of baseball players. And baseball players are talking about, they were actually using chess players as their uh, example. Chess players, by the way, are the guinea pigs for cognitive science, and they've been so forever. Um, and the baseball players is an interesting counterexample to us because of all sports, like it's the least physical. Like you can imagine you can be completely overweight and be a great hitter, for example. Um, but with baseball, it's also 
kind of been studied and determined that around 28 is when you're going to peak. And, and it's interesting to think about because what it means is there's cognitive abilities in imagining, uh, imagine you're a hitter and there's a ball coming at you at 90 miles an hour and you have to judge where to swing the bat in a, just a fraction of a second. It's a cognitive development. It might be something you can practice, but it's definitely something that your mind is going to have to wrap itself around. And I just thought that was interesting. You say, right, it's not just chess players peaking at 28. There's a certain cognitive thing that's not, that goes through all sports competitive activities. That's not just a physical thing, right? It's a mind thing. Imagine you're a soccer player, same thing. It's not just your physical ability. It's your mind's ability, say, to judge the field, to judge uh, the various fractions of a second around a ball's interactions. Okay, so we're going to talk about a lot of things. I will turn it over to either Dave or Close, whoever wants to pick up the ball and give their thoughts on the issue. Oh man, well, where where to begin though? Where to even <coughs> where to even start? Um, I can tell you, I am a little bit now worried about aging because I feel like it is coming, and uh, and like you mentioned, I feel like I have a limited amount of time left before it becomes like really, really unlikely that I can improve my chess. Uh, I mean, like uh, to get to GM. So it uh, actually, I was thinking it kind of, it's like when you have like a queen and rook endgame and it's like move 35, it's like you're running, you're running out of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stressful. Um, so that, that does kind of weigh on me sometimes. It's like the looming uh, time trouble can sometimes also be uh, just as stressful as the actual time pressure. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, you know, I'm, I'm still relatively young, so I haven't had a ton of experience uh, with the aging process. So I'm not really sure how much I can contribute personally, but um, I have worked with a bunch of adult improvers and uh, I feel like they're always asking like, oh, is it possible to improve at, at like this age? And um, actually I did a perpetual chess, the the podcast um, a couple of days ago. And there was a question that was very much like, like I, I think the guy was like 55 years old and he was wondering if he can get from like 1800 to 2200, like if that was possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, so maybe that's something we could discuss uh, as well because people are always, are always wondering about mm -hmm. that. Um, personally, I feel like it's anything's possible is kind of my, my viewpoint, but it's just going to be really, really hard and maybe just, you know, impossibly difficult for a lot of people, but I, I wouldn't say hundred percent anything is, is ever impossible. One of the things I've noticed with aging, and this is sort of like a general reflection before we get, doesn't necessarily immediately relate to chess, but one of the things I've noticed is that aging kind of surprises you like, mm. like you're going along and it's not like a slope. It's like all of a sudden it just like blindsides you, like slaps you with something. You're like, Oh shoot. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, uh, you know, you like walk up a staircase and like gasp for air and you're like, what? Wait, it doesn't take that much air to go up a staircase, you know, or, um, or, you know, you, you like stretch and something pops and then like, you can't use your arm for like a month instead of like an hour. And just, where did that come from? And I imagine that like the future, 
uh, indignities before me will also continue to sort of surprise me. Uh Um, So, you know, things will be going along like just fine, let's say for like 80 or 90% of the time. Like you could sit at home and you're like studying some book of chess and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still like learning. I'm still like improving. I'm still like getting something, you know, and then, you know, something just falls out of your head, right? Like you go to the tournament and you get like the queen versus rook end game. And you can't even remember what Jesse taught you after you practiced it with Kostya, right? <laughs> You're like, I, I just practiced this last week. And then Jesse was like teaching me something about it. I don't remember anything that he taught right. me about this mm-hmm. uh, position suddenly, you know, and there you are at like the tournament. You're like, shoot. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think like how much it's going to hamper you is going to tend to be more than you guess or estimate, right? Like when you think about like what you can do, what you can work on, what you can get better at, and then like how it might hamper you, you're going to underestimate like the problems it's going to throw your way. You're going to feel like, okay, like there's this known problem. You know, I don't remember my opening theory as much, but I'm going to compensate by playing this old man opening. And, you know, I've improved on my end games. So like, if I get into these kind of equal end games, you know, it'd be no problem. And then you, you travel to the tournament and, you know, you wake up with a sore neck and like, you can't like sit properly at the board or something. And it like keeps distracting you, you know, like it just, it's going to like hit you with stuff that you didn't see coming. Uh, and so I think you'll always be sort of like under performing what you imagined for yourself. You could still do That's sort of a guess, but okay. Yeah, let me say two things about both myself and students I've taught who are older. The, one of the key strengths of chess players is memory. Now, one of the great things you can do just for fun is go on YouTube and look at the memory tests that Levon Aronian and uh, Vichy Anand and Magnus Carlsen do. They're testing their memory about positions. It's stunning. It's like these people have a supernatural ability to remember positions, like show a guy a position. Who played it? And they can name it. I can't do it. I was never able to be that level. But what I want to stress is every chess player is using, memory is one of the features of a good chess player. It's not the only thing, but it's one of the features. And it's, for me, in aging, I think anecdotally and other people, it's also true, is it's one of the first things to go. And for example, David kind of, I'll just put in my own words what I feel like David is describing. You've studied some opening and then all of a sudden it's in front of you in on the board and you just have a blank. <laughs> you just have a complete blank, buddy, about what the complications in that position are. You're just like, what? I just looked at this and it's just like, it's gone, it's gone. And so one of the tendencies with older players is you'll see that with openings, they'll try to simplify things and they'll try to make things easier. Let's talk, we, great, there's a great debate on the internet. Should you play the London and people get really upset? Now there are various ways to play the London, but uh, they're basically, let's call them system openings where people don't have to memorize too much and things become uh, more intuitive. That's the old man style. And when you look, at senior tournaments, which I'm going to be hopefully playing in soon, that's more of the kind of chess that you're going to see than the highfalutin, very quick 
uh, like tactical chess. So that's one thing you see. And related to it is the when you talk to older guys, when they talk about their game, they'll say the reason I'm not I'm dying here is because I'm blundering. Now everybody blunders. You saw Nepo blunder. Everybody blunders. There's no there's no getting around it. But to play for several hours at a like a very high level and to not miss stuff, it's very difficult whether you're a senior or not. And that's the kind of thing where if you just miss the simple stuff, you're just going to go down in flames. And that's already definitely started to happen to me uh, now. And that's when you look at the vast majority of people who are not Korshnoi and Smyslov and Anand, that is what is happening when they reach, especially right around 40, right? They're going to start blundering too much. And then it's psychological as well, because once you feel that loss of control, after you feel like you've been at a high level, it's very hard for, let's say, Karpov. He goes out there and he's just getting beat by all kinds of chumps. It's very hard then psychologically to be like, I had a place in the world and now that place is gone, right? I don't have that same spot that I occupied before. So it's not just, um, you know, the loss of skill. It's that loss of place in the world. And that happens not just in chess. You see people uh, who have, let's say, it's extreme with early onset dementia where all of a sudden, you just completely have lost your place and people are just, you fall into disrespect yeah. with the people around you. I have, a, I have a related point with maybe a question for you, Jesse. So like mm -hmm. another place where that confidence can affect you is just like your choice of what to play when you're playing at the board, right? So for example, me, I used to play or still did at my last tournament, you know, stuff like the King's Gambit, the Night Orf Sicilian, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I think I, I think I may have disrespected somebody by playing the Dutch defense at the last tournament uh -huh. as well. Yeah. Right. And, um, I had like three games with like incredible positions playing, playing sharp games, mm -hmm. three games mm -hmm. with incredible positions, playing sharply, aggressively. And I, lost one of them in time pressure and drew the other two in time pressure. And one of the ones I drew, like I should have lost, like I went all the way over the edge and my opponent didn't quite like find, find the way. And I got a draw out of it, but I should have been better earlier. And the one that I lost and the one I drew completely winning. I mean, just like, you know, if you were analyzing somebody's game, you'd be like, and here you're completely winning. We don't need to look more at it. If it were your student or something. Right. Um, so when that happens, and then I had two other games where I traded Queens in the first 10 moves mm -hmm. and won both those games, including one of them, I had a terrible position. You've analyzed it with me. I just like a miserable position and just gradually won the game anyway. Like when you do that, then you ask yourself like, well, do I need to like give up the tactical openings? Right. Because even if I enjoy it, even if I play well, even if I'm crushing, like I'm going to blow it at some point. Right. So that's the thing where that confidence like hits you. You're like, Am I still allowed to play my chess? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is it prudent or not? And, you know, I wonder if you have any advice for me on that question, whether I should give up, uh, you know, the way I used to play. I've got nothing against the new way of playing, but should I completely give up, you know, mm -hmm. tactical mm -hmm. malaise? I think that's a big thing. And I think it's important that if, 
especially if, if anybody out there considers themselves an aggressive player and that's their intuition and that's what they enjoy, it's important to realize that you probably won't be able to completely change yourself into a different person. And it makes a lot of sense to me that Smyslov was able to go from a stylistic point of view deep into older age because the guy had such a strong sense of just how to hold a position and um, to, it's not like he avoided complications and it's not like he had got to stop calculating, but he was able to play a lot of the game without uh, too much thinking. And, and in any game, you're gonna have to calculate some and it's gonna get hairy. Even if you play positionally, it's gonna get hairy, but you can play in a certain way where a lot of the decisions are more intuitive, a little safer. Um, with Korshnoi, it's a little bit trickier because he was a tricky dude. <laughs> the guy was evil, man. Um, <laughs> and Anand, Anand, honestly, is, is we can start talking about him because he's plus, is over 50, but he's not yet even close to where Korshnoi was or Smyslov. Korshnoi, spare in mind, I mean, he was one of the top, he, he, he like regained a peak like in his 80s. <laughs> he was like playing some of the top players in the world in his 80s. So it's really a, a funny thing to think about like why certain people make it. And when, when you see people who make it, you should see, it's almost like you're deluded a little bit into thinking, oh, everybody can do that. But then you just go down the list of players who are no longer able to play. And it's like, oh, right, right. Like one of the things I've been telling Costa is there are loads of ex-Soviet players that can train you, buddy. They're just waiting for something to do because they don't play anymore <laughs> because they don't trust themselves because they're going to blunder. They still have all of the chess understanding. They're still studying. They still enjoy the game, but they're not playing actively or very little because they're tormented by their own blunders and it's not fun for them anymore. Right? Yeah. So actually on that point, I was listening to... Um, Leiko, actually, his commentary uh -huh. at the World Rapid and Blitz, and he made a point about how a lot of the older players tend to actually do pretty good in, like, Rapid and even, uh -huh. even in Blitz. Like, um, Anand was World Rapid champion, right, like, uh, one or two years ago, and, like, Gelfand does well, Kramnik does well there. Mm -hmm. uh, like, he was, like, second or third in Blitz or something. Um, so that kind of goes to your point about the intuitive play. Like, they still have all the intuition, um, although that is a bit counterintuitive because you would think as you get older, like your blood skills would, would degrade. You know, well, just kinda... and, and bear in mind, they don't have to hold the tension as long either. They don't have to hold the tension yeah. for six hours, you know, which is so hard when you're an older dude. So that's, yeah. uh, that's kind of a nice thing. On the Korchnoi point, I feel like I recall Kasparov saying that the reason Korchnoi uh, did so well for so long was because he was very uh, dedicated to analyzing positions by hand. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I presume, I, I'm paraphrasing Kasparov, but I guess like like not using computers, but I think his point was more just like, um, he would spend a lot of time on his games. Whereas other players, I think he was comparing him to even Karpov. He would say Karpov wasn't as like dedicated to, uh, to doing that analysis. Um, so that could be, something to think about just the value of like just keeping your brain uh sharp seems actually as hard as ever nowadays now that we do have the computer that can just like kind of do that work for us um but uh yeah feels like it's um well something to do with uh like mental mental clarity and and and
precision. It also feels like overall health might be important too. Like if yeah. you have a healthy, I mean, I don't know, I just presuming if you have a healthy body, like you're more likely to have a healthier mind and maybe able to stay focused longer. And I don't know. It seems like that would be more important as you, as you age. I feel like, I hope that's not crazy to say. Well, and to that point, I just, um, I'm going to make a confession here on Dojo Talks. You guys, I'm juicing. I'm juicing. <laughs> juicing what? Carrots? Yeah, can you be more? <laughs> <laughs> no, not that kind of juicing. Juicing is sometimes, you know, I guess in like the bodybuilding world or weightlifting world is referred to, you know, when you're taking steroids. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that I think is going to happen, it, I, as I've always assumed it's been happening at the top level for a while, is drug use. And um, so uh, I've always, and, and there's loads of things like I think Adderall's kind of been proven to help you on a short term basis. Caffeine uh, is known to help brain activity. Um, that, that's, I think, something that's uncontroversial. I myself have always been a caffeine addict, especially I just enjoy drinking coffee and playing chess. If they banned it, it would be like a psychological crutch would be taken away from me, but also just a lot of the joy in the game, just because kind of like imagine the old timers associated playing chess and smoking cigarettes, right? I never did that, of course, but that was like a, a thing that was very hard for them to stop doing. It would be a similar thing with me stopping uh, coffee. In any case, that's kind of been known for a while, though I think in the last couple of years, they've been able to prove it more numerically, right? That caffeine really does help your mind, at least on a short-term basis. Um, So (laughs) the thing that I've been juicing with is uh, I've just, honestly, it's been like a week, so I can't even tell you guys the results. But one of the reasons I wanted to do this show now was just to admit that I'm juicing and present it as an experiment. (laughs) So um, for, I guess, a while, the like weightlifting community has been using creatine. And I was never, you know, I'm not interested in growing huge muscles or anything like that. But then recently it's, it's been very widely studied and it's been shown to also help um, the mind and clarity of the mind. So I'm now juicing, I'm now juicing with creatine uh, and we'll see how it goes. I've never, by the way, I grew up not in a hippie community, but I grew up in Santa Fe with, there was kind of like an austerity, the kind of a distance from drugs. So there was already like a value problem for me just in doing anything. And I don't even, and for that reason, I'm not sure I'll stick with it, even if it gives me good results. But um, anyways, I think it's a thing where it's, it's very interesting in terms of like what I see happening on the horizon, namely like it should be said like something like creatine. It's not like the doctors like have understood the brain and they were like, oh, I know what we can do to help the brain. Let's do this. No, it's more like people are just using stuff. And then by chance, by chance really, they understood that there was this side effect of creatine helping the mind. Um, And I think similarly for the weightlifting, I don't think they were like, oh, to grow, we understand how muscles are built, therefore we're gonna use this creatine. No, that was completely by chance that they discovered it, like the the discovery of penicillin, for example. In any case, I think what I'm trying to say is, 
definitely as an older dude, I can say that drinking is a real problem. I, I generally don't drink. I can say that I had two drinks last night and it wrecked me. Poor sleep, the whole thing. Sleeping is a problem. Old dudes have a trouble sleeping. I can just tell you that from experience. It is harder to sleep as an older dude. This is this I think is pretty widely acknowledged. It just every year of your life it gets harder to sleep. And sleep is arguably the most important thing for any kind of health measure, whether it's your body or your mind, I think. Um, anyways, drinking is then problematic, not just because of other problems of alcohol, but then it doesn't let you sleep later on. But Jesse, um, so you, yeah. when you say uh, juicing with yeah. creatine, you meant you're taking a creatine like supplement, like a yeah. normal one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, that's not like too crazy. I mean, like you could like you can buy that at the gym. Like a lot of people take creatine. I don't think that's so insane. But it is, I think, juicing because it's kind of been proven that it's helpful. So right? you're saying juicing, you mean for, for chess, like helpful yeah. mentally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you mean like on a short-term basis or? No, long-term basis. Yeah. Long-term. That's the thing. Like caffeine is a short-term thing that... I think Fide's honestly considered banning. I think they've considered banning Fide, but banning caffeine, but there would be such a protest from guys like me that I think they're like, no, we can't do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> can't, can't do it. Too but, common. Uh, creatine, right, it's not, because it, but we should be saying it's a natural compound. So that's why it's harder to ban. It's not like a, a synthetic compound, like say steroids are, right? So I so for that reason I think it's harder to ban, but it's definitely juicing. I mean anything that's going to help you, uh, anything that's going to help you improve. But then, uh, but then, the why would sleeping well not be juicing, or like eating a healthy diet, or like oh, <laughs> Kasparov juiced because he like did a good like because he got like a personal trainer and got in better shape than any chess player before him. Yeah, no, generally. I, I juicing it's supposed well i i I always understood it as something that's like maybe even dangerous for your health but you're just doing it for the performance gain so like i thought it would have to be something against the rules to be juicing or yeah yeah specifically um illegal or i mean but i don't know i mean there's there's people that aren't really competing that are juicing yeah because they're yeah, yeah. just kind of like pumping themselves up. But yeah, I think taking yeah. like a supplement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you being a little hard on yourself. <laughs> well, yes but I'm curious no. what, mean, what you think the benefits will be. Sorry, in, in the long run, like what or like, do you have any way you'll try to measure it or? Good question. I mean, first of all, the measure will be pretty obvious in that I've been stinking up the dojo for a while now. <laughs> I've had a really bad run. Basically, since my second kid was born, I've just been, I've gone from 2,500 plus feet a just to a really, just a, just a downhill toboggan sled ride all the way down, all the way down the mountain, my friends. And um, at this point, it might even be a placebo effect that could happen to me. If it were, I would accept it. <laughs> it was just a placebo effect. Fine. If you give me that, I'll take it. You know, but honestly, it's a little bit of desperation. There's an element of desperation in it uh, that I would even do such a thing. Because as I said, I had, a, I, a, you know, there's a little bit of a hippie community that was anti anything like that. 
that I came up in. And so even though I don't have those hippie values in me, there's something, you know, a little tingling sensation when I take something that feels like a supplement, uh, a moral tingling that happens. Um, but when I think of when I call it juicing, I mean, if it helps your performance five to 10% or something, I mean, that's a big deal. That's huge. And one of the things that's interesting about chess that uh, I want to say that's really the people, I don't know, well, this is my experience of it, is the difference between a win, lose, and a draw is can be a very fine line. Like just the little bits of pressure that you can put on an opponent, um, you know, or a slightly better move. It's the difference. You know, when you put it through the computer afterwards, the computer is like, oh, you were winning X, Y, and Z. But when you analyze the game and you're like, oh, if I just put this pressure here, if I hadn't spent an extra five minutes here, those things really add up. Uh, especially not just in the one game, but then like, let's say measured over 30 games, you know, your overall performance there. Um, so anyways, yeah, just confessing, I'm juicing now. <laughs> Is it illegal? Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Are there other drugs out there that are more intense? Yes, like the Adderall drugs. Those um, are known to be very effective and, um, those ones, I have a neurologist student. I have a student, an older guy. I've taught a lot of older guys. And he is uh, like a very famous neurologist. And he was telling me that I should avoid it because it does have a negative feedback loop when you use those kinds of drugs, as I understand it, right? Um, so I haven't gone down. I'm not that desperate yet. <laughs> I'm not that desperate yet, but I am juicing with the creatine. Well, well, I hope it works out. Now, someone is yelling at me that coffee is a drug, creatine is a supplement. I think you could call it that. But I, what I just mean by that is anything that is proven to help you in a significant way. We'll see. I mean, there's no studies yet for chess players or anything like this. I think this is just studies using other cognitive abilities. But whether we call it a supplement or a drug, you know, it's it's still it's still something that's significantly hopefully helping. You guys, do you guys agree that 28 is sort of a peak age for for chess? That's what uh, I have seen not only for chess, but also there's been there's a, a study that I'll link in the YouTube that has 28, and then also for other sports and cognitive abilities at 28 is is what we're looking at. But I don't know, maybe you don't agree. Well, I was just thinking about it, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that I like, am trying to like doubt it or have a strong opinion yeah. about it, but um, I was just trying to think about it for myself and consider it. And I mean, you've had, you've had world champions who are younger than 28. Um, you've had people hold the world championship past 28. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think there's probably like a distribution, right? Like like if you're like even if 28 is right that would maybe be like an average like if your peak were 28 like for Costi or me it could be 26 or 30 like we don't have to have the same peak age as you since people age differently fair enough um, yeah. no i think yeah the number 28 is just an average yeah because yeah. i would sort of like vaguely feel like people's peaks tend to fall between like maybe 20 
five and 33 or something like that, maybe. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, be kind of my feeling. Yeah, I got, I finished the GM title at 35. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was my, well, probably was my peak. I mean, in those years too, uh, it's a little different for me in that, you know, I took some time off um, and there was also a psychological component in that when you're post 30 and let's say you're 2,400 feet, no one's going to believe you. <laughs> you say you're going to make GM, like yeah. nobody, sorry. So you're not going to get any support. You know, no one's going to give you a positive feedback. I'm like, oh yeah, buddy, I'm behind your dream. Go for it. No, nobody. It's over. That's why Coach just got to get a move on, man. Yeah. Well, it's hard. Everyone's working hard, but it's uh, it's very difficult to, I think, improve at most ages. Actually, not just not just the older ones. Um. Uh, yeah actually i was i was just thinking um like what kinds of training do you guys think would be useful um for people who feel like they're starting to slow down if anything i do believe that this training is the same for anybody you need to do hard you need to avoid the easy calories and work on the hard calories so I think you need to look at your games by hand, by hand. Yeah. Without the computer and Kosi, you got to stop doing this thing, buddy. You got to stop doing this thing where you like show your game instantly and then do an instant analysis. No, buddy, you need to take your time, man. You mm -hmm. need to take your time with those games, dude. Don't just leave it at that. Come back and work on it. He is coming back to them too, though. Yeah, I, I do come back to them, but but you're saying because I because I do run the the engine before doing the videos. Yeah, no, you're saying no, not no, to do no. that. Costia, mm -mm. you run the engine now. Who's juicing in the dojo? <laughs> who's juicing in the dojo, buddy? Come on. I just, it's just how I've been doing it uh, for for many years. Um, maybe a separate topic. <laughs> but in all seriousness, in terms of improvement, and this especially goes, I just say for myself and the students I've worked with, I guess I could say it's especially for old people, but there's no reason to think it's just for old people. And that is, you've got to do work that is hard. The easy work, stuff like blitz and puzzle rush is not going to build like the, let's call it muscle memory of the positions and ideas, the vocabulary of positions of plans. It's not going to help you in that way. Um, and so you really got to dig for, you know, new levels in there. And when you're older, right? Like there's this weird thing where you're, uh, you might be forgetting things faster than you're learning things. It sounds like cliche, but it really is kind of true. And, and so you have to find new ways all the time of approaching positions and ideas and having like some wealth come into your game, you know, wealth come into your game all the time. You know, one thing I can say too, anecdotally, that I think is important for people listening is, you know, I obviously as an older person, one of the things you'll experience as a chess player is there'll be times of your life when you, you're not uh, studying that much because of life, because life happens. And then, um, you know, you get kind of tossed out of it. And that's where it's tricky because you'll think, oh, I can just jump back in. <laughs> no, my friend. No, my friend, you have to put in the work again. It's not just like, 
you're 2,500 and then you take a break and then you come back and you're thinking you're gonna, you know, without any work that it's just gonna be the same. No, it is not gonna be the same. You have to, so one of the problems of aging is you have to constantly be putting money into the bank or else the depletion is just gonna get even rap more rapid. And that's the case too, by the way, for like, let's say you're 22, you still have to be working. But I, what I'm trying to describe is that when you're older, the, uh, the because you're on the decline, you need to be putting more and more effort into just not only improving, but staying where you are. I think it, I think it makes sense that there would be some changes that you would make in your training. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I agree that everyone should be doing like hard work rather than easy work. So that part obviously makes sense. But I imagine that like, let's say you've got a decline in your memory, you've got mm -hmm. a choice, like either you like gain some compensatory advantages over mm -hmm. time with your age, right? right. Or you have to do something special to like mitigate something that, that you're losing or that's changing. Right. So like, I mean, back to my question with my openings, right? Like I could, I could try and do something to, to make up for my decline in like King's Gambity positions. Right. Or I could embrace new positions, leave the King's Gambit behind. And that would, that would constitute like a major change in my training. Right. If I were, uh, you know, adopting different opening choices and, you know, do I, do I give up on, on calculating wins and just try to turn every game into a smooth end game? Right. Or do I like fight back, you know, against it and do extra work to keep the calculation skill? It's two well, different they, choices, but either way, it's a change of some kind. This is going to sound like a joke and it kind of is, but it's very true. At any point in your chess career, if you'd just given up the King's Gambit, buddy, you'd just given up that thing, old or not, buddy, just giving up that garbage, you would have done so much better. Fighting for equality on move two, my friend. No, yeah. no, make it easy on yourself. Jeez. So, so you would say I should give that up now? You should have given it up long ago, my friend, okay. whether you were 22 or not, you know? Okay. Yeah. But it's true. Let, let, in all seriousness, let's address the question. The question is really like the crazy positions. And I think one of the things I want to stress is I have some older students who definitely self-identify as attacking players. And um, they're having they're intimidated by openings that feel overly complicated. And the thing that I would say to those players is it is possible to get attacking play positions without too much theory and the key thing is at some point you're going to have to reach a position uh, and this is what i talked about in my video on openings you have to reach a position where you stop and say okay i get it i get this position i could i analyze it another gazillion years with the computer yes but I, if I could just stop and say, all right, this is good enough for me. I understand that this position has some potential for initiative. Go with it. For example, um, uh, an opening repertoire that um, some older students of mine who like to attack have been using is Bishop's opening for white, beautiful, uh, against e5, advance against the Caro, easy system against the French, uh, and then uh, Grand Prix attack against the Sicilian. Not too much theory, a little bit. You can make it. You can make each of those as deep as you want, but there's going to be a lot of variations there where you can just stop and say, "Okay, I get it. I get what's going on, and I have on all of these positions. I have the potential for the initiative." Yeah. Jesse is adrenochrome. Here, here's one change I've made in my in my training, which is when I solve really? tactics now, I use like a clock on it. 
And maybe Jesse, you'll again say at any point in my life, I should have done that. But honestly, Jesse, like it used to be when I would go through like books of tactics, like mm -hmm. I was going so fast, like, mm. like why pull out a clock, you know, why <laughs> set it, you know, I was, yeah. I was blazing, you know, and, uh, and uh, now, you know, I find I'm sort of like basically running out of time to do the calculations I need to do when I go to tournaments. Mm -hmm. Now, again, this could be rustiness versus aging or some of both. I would, my own guess is it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. And so the thing I've changed is now when I do my calculation exercises, I put a clock on myself and I'm like forcing myself to try and crank up the speed um, or to be more careful about how many double checks I do on a variation because the clock's ticking. Um, so that's a change I've made. Um, and it was recommended to me uh, by Sam as well. He, mm -hmm. I came up with the idea. He came up with the idea independently and told me that's what I should be doing. Uh, and obviously he hasn't aged. So mm -hmm. he might be more like thinking of it because I'm, because I'm rusty and he knows I'm rusty and he doesn't yet know what it's like to age. But uh -huh. I don't know. Do you, have you made any changes in your training? Is there well, anything that you had to change? Uh, uh, Does that change make any sense to you? Well, a video actually I did not too long back here on the dojo was called the 369 method. And so I have a grumpy Soviet coach named KGB. And he was noticing that I was spending forever on moves. And he wanted uh, me to be more disciplined in coming up with decisions. And so that the 369 method, simply put, you can go watch the video, is to, to say, at, to have your little clock out, and at three minutes, you must write down what you think is going down, what you think is happening in the position, at six minutes as well, and then at nine minutes, and then you're done. And yeah, it's very helpful because really in a real game, he, he is the thing was like, if you lose, use more than 10 minutes, it's a blunder. It's a blunder to use more than 10 minutes. And usually when it happens, you pass 10 minutes in a game, your mind is floating. You're just spinning your wheels. So um, that was very helpful. And I think it is true that a lot of my older students have trouble um, both in getting into time pressure and then when they're in time pressure of collapsing completely. So I think the clock is a different beast when you are an older player. Yeah, that's, that seems like a really important point. Like you would definitely just want to avoid time pressure. Also going back to your point about choosing opening positions that you really understand. I feel like that's mm -hmm. actually just very, very valuable advice and will help with time pressure because you'll right. get positions that uh, you can definitely uh, play by hand. Um, yeah, I always, I, I always run into um, the old Indian with older players uh -huh, yeah it's really it's really hard to crack and their moves yeah. are very simple and they can play them yeah. relatively quickly and it's uh, -huh. uh it's really really tough um so i yeah i think there's a lot of benefit to just choosing positions that you kind of you understand and i would imagine you would also just like enjoy playing those positions like so mm -hmm. you know even if the results aren't what you're like hoping for maybe you can actually just enjoy the game that you're spending your time on maybe that's not such a crazy idea yeah yeah okay cool let's wrap it up any final thoughts um well i i'm playing tomorrow and this has been thoroughly oh. depressing okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah go see the clock is running on you buddy the mm -hmm. clock is running on you it's a horrible thing to 
think about it. I maybe you haven't thought about it, and I, I, you know, I'm realizing it now. One of the reasons I want to do this talk is you do not have forever, and you might live for a long time, but the chances of playing at a competitive level, it, there's a clock on it. There's definitely a clock on it, and we're seeing it more and more in the top 100 list. Is so few players now over 40 in that list. And we talked about it in the podcast about Magnus. How long will he last? I mean, if he lasts much longer, then he definitely is the GOAT. There's no question, man. There's no question. You see these young kids coming up. They got skills, man. They got crazy skills, a new generation. Yeah. All right, folks, as usual, if you have any topics that you'd like to see us address on future episodes of Dojo Talks, drop them in the chat, drop them in the comments. Uh, at us on Twitter, and uh, you know, we we'd be very happy to receive them. Our last topic was from a viewer, and I thought it led to a very uh, fiery show. So I think that uh, that we all uh, look forward to what what you can supply us. I think that actually leads to some of our best shows. All right, everybody. Bye bye. Cool. Okay, that's a wrap. Um, thank you, St. Louis Chess Club, for uh, the raid just now. Very much appreciated. Yeah. Welcome. We just ended uh, our, our podcast, but um, the VOD will be available. And then we're, of course, going to be putting all these up on YouTube and uh, Spotify and all the usual uh, podcast places. Um, that's also going to be it for the stream. But actually, I'm going to be back in a little bit around uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time, so in about uh, 100 minutes. I'm going to be analyzing some games from the, the Patreon. Um, and oh, so are you playing in that MLK thing in Concord? Yes, Golden State Open. Oh, man. Oh, man. Playing, it doesn't yeah. start tonight? Uh, it does, but I'm playing the, the three-day. The three I'm juicing with the three-day schedule because I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to drive there all, all four days. Um, but you can't play for a norm then? or what? What's it's seven like? rounds anyway. I'm just playing for practice. Okay. Yeah. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah. All right, cool. But, um, it'll be fun. Good you luck. guys doing anything this weekend? Um, kids, drama, the whole thing, man. The whole thing. Uh, you know, here's, a, here's an interesting I, I Maybe I, I wanted to... Here, here's a comment that I think just briefly. Foos Chess says, this was a good topic, not terribly controversial, but still interesting. There is a very controversial element to this conversation. Namely, if you believe, just simply believe that cognitive function declines, then you it's hard not to also say that there's something like natural talent in chess. And oh man, if you get going on that, some people are really going to come at you. They're going to come at you hard on social media, buddy. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, they're going mean, to come it, at you. I think it can get controversial. There are lots of people out there who, like, I don't know, enjoy telling older players that they have no chance of getting to, like, 2,000 or 2,200 or whatever uh -huh. that is. I, I never understood the point of telling someone else, like, <laughs> like some <random laughs> stranger, like, this, like, your opinion on whatever, but... <laughs> Yeah, I could guess why. I mean, they probably think there's other people that are selling them snake oil by like promising them like, oh, sure, you're 60, whatever, you can become a GM. Uh, and so they're trying to say like, you know, don't give that dude your money. That would be He's a genuine telling you something yeah, like concern. unrealistic and don't get your hopes up in it. Just mm -hmm. like, 
do something more realistic. You know, they're trying to spare that person's uh, time and, and feelings mm-hmm. with something more realistic as a goal, maybe. Mm-hmm. I got a, I got a student uh, I've been working with for years. And uh, when we started working together, he's about 1800 USCF. Right before the COVID hit, I thought we were close to making it to 2000. Of course, when he initially came to me, the dreams were much bigger, but I knew right away, I was like, oh dude, if we could reach 2000, that would be amazing. I was like, that could be, that would be amazing. There is a lot of people on Twitter too that like to say things like, oh, anybody can reach 2000. Oh, buddy, let me tell you, maybe it's true, but it ain't so easy for us old guys, man, to make the progress, to make the jump. Actually, when you think about it, being in your 60s to make, uh, after you've been playing for a while, to make a jump of, say, 100 or 200 points, amazing. That's very difficult. Anyways, let me just say this, this struggle is, is ongoing, me and this student. It's hard, man. Very difficult. Yeah. But hopefully still, still rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. That's going to do it. Uh, we'll be sending a raid here shortly. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in. See you guys next time.